Hey again everybody, John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, along with my good friend and cohort, Richard Perry. And today, Richard, I'll let you introduce our guest. Uh, we're going to kind of carry on from our Great Rock theme from our last podcast. Yeah, today we have Mark uh, Kellop with us, and you're right, it's a kind of a Rod-centric uh, last couple podcasts. Uh, like Bogart before him, or not, maybe different from Bogart before him, but certainly uh, the great rod maker application appeals up here, uh, applies here. Mark McKellop, and uh, if you've ever seen one of Mark's rods, you don't have to be told that he makes an ex a very nice rod, exquisite. I mean, it is immaculately finished, and the rod, it's a great rod. There's no question about it. So, uh, Mark, you want to tell us a little bit of how you got into rod making or something about yourself, and we'll get going from there? A little bit of a long story. Uh, back uh, when I was young, um, back in mid to late 60s, I got interested in fly fishing. I had been interested in fly fishing many, many years before that, simply because uh, I loved moving water. Yeah. And I, I, I grew up in an area where there isn't any moving water, down in Bay City. And... Uh, Anytime we, we would come north on vacation, I could my father couldn't drive by any kind of a stream or anything without without it just I was all eyes, and dead water never really interested me. Yeah. So as I got older and and came to the age where I was able to move around a little bit, not quite to the age where I was able to drive yet, but I had friends who were older than me, and a couple of them were were trout fishermen. Uh, they, they weren't they weren't fly fishermen yet. But I had always had an interest in fly fishing because we had a neighbor who had a fly rod. And I thought it was just cool. You know, it, it was cool. And I don't even know why. It was just a different way to fish than what my father introduced me to. Sure. So one thing led to another. When I got a little bit older, I tagged along with guys until about the time I started being able to drive. Then I started move, traveling up here. I didn't have a mentor, didn't have a father who fly fished, didn't really know anybody that fly fished. So I was freelancing as far as that goes, teaching myself very painfully how to do this and do that <laughs> with very limited success without anyone to really show me the ropes, but I stuck with it. And sooner or later, you start running into people your own age that uh, are kindred souls in that regard. Camping, I always like camping as well, kind of went hand in hand. Sure. Until about the time I got, oh, maybe 18 years old. And then uh, I started understanding, I did a lot of reading, started to understand what some of the better rods out there were, be it fiberglass or graphite. And of course, I was interested in bamboo because my father always talked about bamboo rods. Although he never owned a bamboo rod, he owned a bamboo casting rod. And I was always fiddling around with it when I was a kid. And I didn't understand that it, I thought it, maybe it was one piece. It wasn't, you know, glued together. So I was ignorant for quite a few years until I started, when I started going into some fly shops, uh, some of the fly shops I originally visited when I was young was uh, Boyd Center in uh, Mile. Okay. Uh, and I even spoke with Peter Jones. He's the only other guy that I know from around here that even remembers Boyd Center shop. I was going to say, that's a new name for me. Yeah. He had a rock shop. Uh, <laughs> and if you've gone through, if you've gone through Mayo, uh, coming from south on 33, you come down the hill and pretty soon you see, you see a big pink elephant. That elephant's still there, although it ain't a rock shop, but that was Boyd Center's rock shop. And he was a jazz musician uh, from Chicago. Oh, wow. And uh, if you even look up his name, you'd find uh, his music on there. They're old recordings. Oh, very cool. But, but he got into the fly, fly business, and I started buying flies there. And, of course, I was fishing the lower Asable. I didn't know where else to go. I was, you know... I never traveled to Grayling or or up to the Lovells area as yet, but uh, 
So you're fishing the wide water then? Yes. You know, and I, I remember, I remember uh, one of the first places I, I fished down there was, now it's a takeout point. Uh, when my son floats, you know, we float in his, his drip boat. And I remember just wading out from there. It was deep water. We caught some fish, but I wasn't, still didn't know really what I was doing. Didn't understand the hatches or anything. But it started to really pick up when I got to be about 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. I already had an interest in bamboo rods because I was chasing after them. <laughs> didn't have the cash for the good ones, and I kind of covered that in that, what I talked about at, the, uh, at Gray Rock. Uh, and then the quest was on, trying to find the Holy Grail. Okay. Be it, and, and I learned about Dickerson's, I learned about uh, Payne's, and I learned about Young's, and the better made rods in that era. And I also understood that a lot of those makers weren't in business anymore because fiberglass kind of took it over. And there's not a lot of, it almost died, you know. Uh, Paul well, Young. How many makers do you think were, were active at that point? Boy, there was the Youngs. They were still making rods, but under uh, Jack Jack Young, okay. and then and, and and then his son Todd. But but the main guy for the Youngs was Bob Summers. You know, all those years, and I think that's common knowledge. Um, until uh, he hung out a shingle. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was right around 1970 or so. Okay. The Youngs were angry about it, and I think everybody knows those stories. But um, I had a friend, my fishing buddy, he got to the point where he could afford a new rod, a good rod. Oh, wow. So we even went to uh, Lyle Dickerson's home and to see if we could get, <laughs> see if he could get, make him a rod. And uh, he wasn't home. So my buddy was real antsy, so he says, well, the other choice was Bob Summers. So we went into Traverse City, and he ended up ordering, ordering a, a rod from Bob, and it was one of Bob's first rods he made under his, under his, under his, uh, name. his name. So that was kind of cool. I mean, we didn't even know who Bob was at the time. Didn't know <laughs> if we, we didn't even know where the young company was, you know, although they were right there. But someone had told us that uh, they weren't in business anymore, and I don't know how true that even that was. We were too busy fishing. Sure. And along the lines, uh, fishing skills came along. We were going coming north, and I'll, I'll back up. When I was about 18, 19 years old, like I said, I, I got in a car wreck, and I was off work for a period of time. And while I was off work, my father's cousin had property up here in this area at Warbler's Hideaway. Oh, okay. And it was a sales type thing. Uh, they tried to encourage other people to buy. I mean, they hadn't had every, everything wasn't sold yet. Oh, to buy a lot of it. Yeah, so yeah. Warbler's got a hold of and sent my father something. And I'm off work at the time getting sick in accident pay. He says, hey, you know, Maybe maybe you should look into this, Mark. So middle of winter, me and three buddies drove up here, and of course I crossed Big Creek, moving water, and that was it. <laughs> I was off the races. I bought property that day. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, I mean I'm 19 years old. I had it paid off in six months, and I I knew I wasn't going to be able to build, you know, for years. Right. But uh, that was the plan. Okay. But we started camping up this area just off on state land. We we had a place that was called Dead Deer Camp. There was there was there was, there was, there was dead there was dead deer bones all over the place, probably from poachers or whatever. I, I don't, yeah. we don't know. But it was just Surely out on, just out either. in the Jack Pines. Around here, huh? There was nothing special about it, but we could hoot and holler like kids do. Sure. And uh, we we were on, we were on up almost every single weekend. And of course, Lovells became our headquarters. Now we started going to Bill Cornicke's shop. Yep. Of course, and and as well when I, I used to come north, sometimes we'd stop in at Jackson Ross Common. Okay. And kind we of loved, a big deal. Yeah. Oh, you know. And we, did you we, get the postcards? Did you sign up for the postcards? Oh yes. For the hex hatch. Oh yeah. Oh or yeah. The caddis hatch. Yeah, the caddis hatch. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, you uh, 
Yeah, you had a whole bunch of Jack stuff, right? You oh yeah, we I donated to I donated to the museum. museum. In fact, um, I brought one of my leaders that I was tying commercially for a while that I sold in the Grayling. I think I sold some to Hartman's. Uh, it may have been one of their shop. I don't remember. I was taking orders uh, from uh, well, what's his name? He used to be at Fly Factory. Steve. Steve. Southern. Yeah. Southern. Yeah. And. I went in there just give him some samples of, of my leaders, and he said, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I know that's a, that's a touchy subject right there in and of itself. Okay. Oh, Not for me. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I give him some samples, and I can't remember the fellow where he used to work for him. He, he was a pretty good guy. But Steve loved them. And he called me, he says, I want this, I want that, I want this. And uh, he placed an order, so I tied him up, brought him up, and uh, sold him to him, and he sold them all almost right away. But Jack had such an influence on me and Roscommon that I copied his his, his packaging. Oh, you all, even, almost. yeah, yeah, you did. Oh, wow. That is almost, uh, it's a little smaller. It is smaller. But, but the yellow and the black with yes. the black print, that's yeah. pretty cool. Take a picture of that and put it on, I, the, I, put it on yeah, the web page. We'll yeah. put this up. Uh, I don't think we'll do it in the show notes, but we'll we'll definitely uh, have it on the mm -hmm. museum's website. Mm -hmm. This is super cool. I never know. That's the first time I've ever heard of those. Yeah. I mean, if I saw that, I'd have thought it was one of Jack's. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't do it very long because it was like right around the... Next time, uh, he, Steve called me and says, hey, we got a problem with your leaders. And I said, well, what's wrong? He said, one of them broke. And I said, well, that's, is, is that unusual? Sooner or later, they're all going <laughs> to break. Is yeah. that unusual? Yeah. And he said a customer came back in, and he was, he was upset that uh, he couldn't pull his fly out of a tree. And I said, "Well, you know, they're not really, they're not made to pull trees out. Not, not catching oats, you know? are you?" <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's what you call customer support. But it, but, yeah. it was, but it was stupid. But it was stupid. And along the lines, when Jack's leaders, of course, I didn't copy them totally. Jack had 18-inch sections. I was a also a, a devotee of uh, Art Newman and the Wadigas Company. Okay. His leaders were hand tied and they weren't just eighteen in sections. He had he had a formula where yes. the leaders turned over much, much better. So I amplified on that as well in my leaders and that that's why they, they caught on. But shorten up that four X a little bit. I actually <laughs> had sections on the step down. I had maybe five step downs in an area about that long. They're only about two oh, inches wow. long. You you could you could take so a, really you could take a fifteen foot leader with half foot the butt and just one flick of the wrist just the leader and turn it completely over so I know that's gonna turn over that's pretty cool and and I I, uh, I dyed my I own do that. I dyed my own material like Jack did now he tried he tried to sell his uh, he tried to sell his formula for making up his leaders it was his process I knew what it was you're, you're not gonna make a, a nylon a different color by um, uh, just painting it or anything, you have to dye it. And that's what he did. Oh, okay. And the interesting but thing... But he was that, using nylon. He was using nylon. And Art was using... Art was using uh, a material called nylorphy. Yes. It was a, uh, a French material that he, that he uh, uh, liked. I even incorporated some nylorphy later and then dyed that. And what I found out when nylorphy was dyed... It shrinks, so I could take a thirty-inch tippet, like a cold day, and it would yes, and it crinkled up. <laughs> Good comparison. <laughs> so, take a thirty-inch section, and it would shrink up to almost half size. And I found out that if you tied flies on, you know, if you used treacle fishing. You could strike the fish almost as hard as you wanted to, and you're not going to break off. But you had to hit them hard. Okay. So, I don't know, I think I called it uh, 
Trico taper or something, I don't, I don't remember. But it was dyed and people didn't recognize it, that it was Nylorphia at the end. But it was only the tippet material. Everything else was straight except the tippet. Okay. So it has some elasticity to it? Oh, you, you could take it, Richard, you could take it a 12-inch section and you can stretch it this far. So it would give you some uh, shock uh, yeah. value yeah. on your tippet. It's almost like a rubber too. band. What was that stuff that was out like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago? Frog hair or something like yeah. that that had... Yeah. It's still around. Yeah. It? Is it? It didn't work too well for me. There's a frog hair in the catalog. <laughs> I didn't like it either. It wasn't, I think that was uh, fluorocarbon, wasn't it? Pretty, yeah, that was, yeah, was, was fluorocarbon. Yeah. I, I don't like fluorocarbon. Yeah. But I used to use back then, and they never they quit making it, I used to use a German Pladle. And Gladle, Gladding Company, imported that after after the German company sold it to Gladding in this country. Okay. And I I used uh, that Pladle. I love this stuff. It's still, if I, if I could get, buy that today, I'd use that over any other material I've ever used. You're still doing leaders for yourself, right? I I've gotten away with it because of the rod building stuff. Okay. I, you know, I got so much other stuff. But when I get in the mood, I'll do it. But what 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 was the problem with with me? I had to dye all the different sizes. So I start out with a 500 yard spool, and I had to run run the material through a dye a certain amount of time, so it would take the color. Now, if you looked at Jack's Jack's leaders each section was almost a different shade of green Jackson and Jack's was really close to the color that I ended up with because I always liked that and Jack also was a proponent of using uh, what he called luzerne clay as a leader sink now this may seem seem strange and there's been different formulations for leader sink over the years uh, but primarily some kind of mud what Jack Jack stuff it was it was he called it luzerne clay. I don't I don't know why, but it, but it had a really different consistency than clays from somewhere else. I don't know where he got it, hmm. but I used to take a shovel full of it, take it home, dry it out, um, kind of make it almost dust, okay. and then put it a little bit in a little Tupperware container. And when I'm fishing, you, you put just a little bit of water in it so that it gets almost like a paste. Uh -huh. You put that on your leader if you're, if you're, if you're fishing over uh, really shy fish, you put that and you're getting false rises, you put this on and the leader is sunk. They don't see it. They ignore it. They ignore it. They see stuff coming down. They don't on, get that spectral glow. You, 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 don't, you don't get the, you know, the refract, light refraction yeah. on the surface because immediately it sinks. And real picky fish, if you have to put, let's say, six foot of your leader over him before he gets the fly and before he's going to take, you have to mud that leader at least that much. And you don't touch it after you do it because after you touch it, it'll come off. If it becomes dry because you're taking off a fish or something, uh, and if you touch that part of the leader, gotta you, gotta you have to remud it again. And I only used it when I had to, but it was very effective. That's yeah, just just different things, uh, but Jack was the one who come up with that. Um, dealing with different kinds of rods, I mean, I I was buying and selling rods. Uh, it was in, almost to the point of insanity. So was this a, was this a side hustle, or did it at that point, or was it? I was that I was your doing straight this. gig. No, I I was just doing this on the side, you know, make make an extra dollar for this stuff. And I and I tied flies too. I, all my friends didn't tie tie flies, so of course they put in orders for me. Of course I'm going to tie them, and I I charge them just what the fly shops did. Nice. And they were happy with it. So, good product. And yeah. yeah, it really? paid for my fishing. You know, I, I well, never see, had much money, so all this stuff paid. <laughs> all the stuff I was doing was paying for my fishing, my gas, everything, all my camping gear, everything. So, it was it was a means to an end. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, you, you you were alluding earlier that you were kind of on a grail search. Um, was that initially, and I don't know how I want to phrase this, like were you looking for the best hardware style or, you know, hardware store type of rod or were you, was this a no, little... No, this was not, top not to bottom, let's say like Garrison all the way down to uh, 
even a South Bend, you know, the <laughs> you know, complete Jim, gamble, Jim whatever, Rocks, whatever would yeah. come along my way okay. is what I looked for. Okay. And I came across a lot of different rods and I was increasingly getting better rods in my battery, so to speak. Okay. And I wanted to have some good rods that kind are in line with. Yeah, in lengths and stuff for different sure. applications. But that I wasn't in, in excluding fiberglass either. Because fiberglass at that time was getting to the point where they were making inroads into almost e e equally as some of the better bamboo. And in some cases, surpassing some of the bamboo. Not all of it, mm -hmm. but a lot of it. So, I, I as well, I mean, I still own rods, glass rods from uh, mid-70s. I had one, a couple of my favorites that got broken in a car wreck my son was in. A bowling ball broke, broke both of them. <laughs> destroyed the rod cases, and both those rods were really rare, too, fiberglass rods. And people don't think of fiberglass rods being very valuable. If I had that particular rod, it was a Vince Cummings uh, Superlight, seven and a half foot, four weight. I seen a mint condition one out in the Caskills, the guy wouldn't sell for two grand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he knows what he has, so yeah. well, I mean, that's I, just one example. I haven't had the advantage of casting a lot of glass, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you that somebody had a uh, a Tom Morgan fiberglass at Grey Rock that I got to cast. Oh, oh yeah. Man. They're sweet. I, I don't have words for it. It's just... They're sweet. It, it's automatic. It's just yep. amazing. And that was one of the things that I, I agreed to. I had my eyes open to modern fiberglass. The first glass gathering that was up here at this lodge right down the road from Richards, mm -hmm. um, my eyes were open you know, by a fellow by the name of Dave Staley. And... Uh, even on my website, I made mention of it, and I started uh, actually marketing glass glass rods that I would build someone up a blank for from a blank. And so you you were you were buying blanks at that point. Oh yeah, somebody? I still buy blanks. Okay. You know, I don't I don't manufacture. If someone asks me to make, I, and I don't stock any of them, that they'll say, "Hey, will you build me this?" I said, "Well, you order it, have it sent to me, and I'll build it all for oh, okay. you." Oh, so, okay. Okay, so it's not had, it's not no a inventory. regular offering. No, no, gotcha. But I I I made a bunch of them. I, I can't really tell you how many I've made, but I made a bunch mm -hmm. of them. Um. Well, and I know we're jumping all over the place. Yeah, here, yeah. So, <laughs> but this is this is kind it, of how it's we do hard it. for me not to jump all over. <laughs> All over the this place is why I, you fit in well with us. <laughs> I, I, I've done a bunch of stuff, and it, it comes to mind. And sure. And and while I can remember and have it in my my mind, I'll spit it out. There we go. Or else I'll lose it. Well, I know you gave a presentation about Hedden mm -hmm. um, at Gray Rock this year, yeah. and was that? It, in uh, apologies, I wasn't able to no. attend because I was recording with Chris at that yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> But was that centered on? Um, bamboo or glass or both? Bamboo. Okay. Bamboo. You know, with Hedden going all the way back to the 20s, even when they weren't making fly rods, just bamboo uh, casting rods. But uh, I was in contact with a fellow way back quite a few years ago now. I don't remember when he published his books, but Mike Sinclair is a guy who published the book first on uh, bamboo rod restoration. Okay. And I got to know him because uh, I had a lot of questions about this, this and that, and I used to talk with him. But then later, when he when he came, he 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 called me and asked me, "What do you think about making a book on head and rods?" And I said, "Well, that sounds like a good idea." And you know, back and forth over the period of time that it took him to write the book, he did a lot of research with uh, the company. Okay. With uh, the, the the existing guy that was the last guy that headed up the company, by a guy by the name of Triglund, and he he was asking people to send him rods. I sent him one. I know that uh, he he made a line drawing of it. It was an early, real early model thirty five, which is a higher high, higher grade heading. And although it was a nine footer, it wasn't that good of a fishing rod. At least okay. it was heavy, you know, just too heavy. 
but he just wanted to make a line drawing so that he could show people what they look like because a lot of them are gone you know uh, and it, it's amazing that company how many different models they made over the years but that was a big company people don't realize just how Huge. big the HUD head and company was I mean they made lures they made they made their real own reels yeah, I've uh, got a head and reel. They're still at Kettle or a museum down there in Dwight. Oh, yeah, in right? I yeah. think they're even expanding it, from what I understand. Well, they made some great runs over the years. Oh, I yeah. I ran into it. Well, I invited a guy. I found out about this guy that uh, was making on the bamboo rod for him. Okay. He's making a downsized version of the Head and Imperial 125 reel. And I had, I had, I loved that reel. The only thing I didn't like about it, you couldn't reverse it. And it was only right hand wind, hmm. and you could not reverse the thing. <laughs> and I didn't like the size; it was too big. And they only made one size. I loved the reel; it was the sweetest sounding reel you'll ever hear. Really? Yeah. I love that. But they only made it in that one size. And I owned a few of them. Some had handles that got stuck; the plastic swelled or something, and you could, it didn't turn on. You know, on the, on oh, the thing that spin spins on. on. Spindle. Yeah. But. This guy, along these same years, has uh, done a ton of research on those rods, and he has a website that deals with that. I do believe it's called uh, AntiqueRodsAndReels.com. And anyone who wants to see some really cool stuff, go on that website. And it isn't just head and stuff. It's just about everything under the sun. Just Rich? Yes. Yeah. His name's Richard Alexander. Well, he designed and made a downsized version of the Imperial 125. Once I heard about it, I got a hold of him, I said, and we <laughs> talked for a couple hours, and he, I ordered one right there. I said, what are, what are they, how much are they? And, and I ordered one right away. He said, well, it'll be, it won't, it'll be about a month. Well, two months later, I got it, but he's a one-man operation. He's just getting it off the ground, but, he had some great stuff at the show. Oh, yes. Uh, it was incredible. His his reels are beautiful, and they're one of the tightest reels I've ever had in my hands. And the machining is, is great. I when, I when I gave the presentation at Gray Rock on Head and Rods, I talked about it at the end. And it's it spurred some pretty good sales. Well, I invited him out here. I said, what about coming out here uh, to, to Gray Rock? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, to our fiberglass gathering, I told him I'd put him up at my nephew's place where I do stay when mm -hmm. I had my gathering. Boy, he said, Boy, that sounds good. So he, he grabbed a friend of his and they, they drove out here. Well, and it's not a short drive. No, he, he's coming no. across Utah, the country. Utah, from Cotton, Utah. Yeah. Road, yeah. Tom and he, from Cottonwood, Utah. He, yeah. just, he said it's just outside. It's a ways away. Yeah. Just outside <laughs> uh, Salt League. Yeah. So, and of course it was a hit at, at Gray Rock. He sold, I think, almost ten reels, from what I understand. Mm, he sold one. eight. Did you get one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. they're beautiful. They're beautiful reels. You know, and I, I, I think they're as good, if not better, than a Hardy St. George. I don't, I, and I, I won't uh, shy, I won't shy away from that. Yeah. And no, from a collectability standpoint, uh, he's sixty years old. He's not going to be around all that long, so anyone who would <laughs> and to get on the ground floor, <laughs> and they're all serial numbered, so that, that's another thing too. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, you know, having had the opportunity to, you know, touch one and hold yeah. it, it, it's real easy to see and feel oh, and yeah. observe the quality of this thing. It's just they're beautiful. I was talking with Miles Tiernan on uh, lunch hour. And I, he, I asked him, I said, do you see them reels? He goes, yeah, those are really, really nice. And finally he asked me, how much are they? He goes, they're four ninety five. And he's, he didn't say another word. He got up and walked right in and bought one. There you go. <laughs> well, in, in what our listeners may not know, but until they go to the website and see, but that opening that he has with the agate, it's, it's art. It is. <laughs> it's just, I mean, he cuts and his he's own. thought about it too because he's oh, yeah. lowered that. He's he, brought lo it down he lowered it down where it should be. Yeah, you know, and that's that's intelligence. 
Yeah. You know, and I, I, I talked with him because he stayed with us for five days. We, oh, nice. we talked endlessly about the reels and designs, and he's kind of spilled the beans as to what he's got on the horizon as well. And I'm not going to say anything about it. That's, mm -hmm. his, that's his baby. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was asking us, though, he says, I, I want to make another larger version of that same reel and a smaller one. You know, I, I hope we can talk. We've ta kind of like almost talked him out of it from going up to the three and a quarter, like the old Head and Imperial 125, go to three and an eighth. And he was going to go down to two and three quarter for the smaller. Mm -hmm. And we tried to talk him into just going two and seven eighths. Two and three quarter is a little bit too small. I mean, it, it, it'll work like maybe two or three way, but that's going to be it. Yeah. So. Well, but I'd, I'd be real interested if he did make a smaller one. Cause, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the profile... Yeah. For certain, you know, especially a smaller rod yeah. like a Medge or something, it probably yeah. made up very nicely with it. Well, I got one. I'm glad I did. I already got it lined up with my 406 fly line. Yes. Oh, is that right? There cool. you go, Tom. Hey, Tom. <laughs> hey, Alexis. Yeah, we missed you. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Too, too bad they too bad uh, they couldn't come out, really. Yeah, I just, folks. I hope they're, they're nice okay. People. I mean, Livingston's underwater. Yeah, I know. I just, in all seriousness, uh, send them best thoughts because that's got to be hairy. Tom's a good guy. Uh, actually, I talked to him this morning a little bit and he said that they had a storage unit flooded out, but otherwise they came out okay. Hmm. They did, personally. Well, that's good. That's good. I, a lot of people, that's, the the photographs and the videos of Yellowstone and the surrounding areas know, are just crazy. mind-blowing. Yeah. I often wonder some, sometimes if this area would be, if that could happen here. Awful, you know, I, I don't think it could, but you just never know. Well, I'm, we're in a glacial moraine, so yeah. probably yeah. less likely. Yeah. We were uh, we were in Yellowstone the year after the fire. Was that 88, 89, mm -hmm. somewhere in there? And we were over Barrel Springs, and we were right behind. I mean, it had like five inches of rain coming down in 20 minutes up the hill, and there was nothing on the hill to keep her from going. And it came down, no, and there were straight. boulders <laughs> the size of houses coming mm -hmm. through there, and it did wash off the car in front of us. Took it right into the river, and uh, wow. fortunately, the, there was rangers on the other side, and they got them out. They got the people out. I think the car was probably yeah. useless. Hmm. But it was, uh, and that was. That's you know, a little hairy. Yeah, but I mean, this thing that's going on now is, you know, several orders of magnitude. Oh, indeed. You know, indeed. And, uh, over that. Yeah. I, I want to say something a little bit about like my history in this area. I got to know quite a few people up here. You know, from you know, like Bill. I remember having good times with him. I'd go into the store and we'd we'd semi argue back and forth. I was just teasing him all the time. He always wanted me to go out with him out out west. He'd go out west every fall, as everybody knew. And I said, well, I said, well, where do you stay? So I sleep back in the in the station wagon. I said, you want me to go with you? And he says, yeah, there's room for two. I go, no, there ain't. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, there ain't. I ain't doing that. Because <laughs> he smoked cigars, and I could have stood in there. I've <laughs> <laughs> already been to jail. <laughs> but Bill was oh a good God. guy. Uh, he's, he's friendly as all get out. And he was an old timer. I listened to every word he had to say. Uh, but Jack and Betty at, at, the, at the restaurant, the people at Cade's, so, uh, McKellett Brothers, was it, did your brother, was your brother in business with No, well, this is, this, well, my brother did work with me, uh, just doing some odd jobs. He was, he was, uh, he was, uh, uh rapping guides, and, uh, and he, he was, he's pretty good at it, but, uh, that was just when I was, most, most of it was when, uh, we were restoring rods. Mm. I, I was I was restoring a lot of rides at one time. I was getting at least one to one and a half or two rides a week. Wow! And I mean, I I, I could and I'm working full time as well. You know, running a fly shop, so he helped me with that, and I, I paid him accordingly. You know, from and I wasn't charging a lot, of, a lot of restorations. And I strongly suspect that I was getting a lot, of, a lot of restoration work because I didn't charge a lot. Because you weren't charging a lot. And I think yeah. I, I was charging 150 bucks for complete, complete restoration. Uh, and if I had to make a handle or you know turn a new cork handle, it was more. Yeah. Of course, but uh, pulling ferrules, regluing ferrules, you know, there's a lot of work involved. It's pretty reasonable. I think my restoration, or my 
rebuild. I don't do restoration, but my rebuild starts at 250. Yeah. And goes up. Well, this was years ago yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. As you well know, and I'm I mean, thinking that's not enough. It ain't enough. Now, it ain't enough. <laughs> and I, I've said it more than once. I, I really don't want to do it because of the way everybody used to make rods years ago, with the exception of a few. Um, they use color preserver. Today it's hard to get the correct colors with color preservers. It's hard to get a color preserver that works. Yes, and that's the point. You get bleed through. And you got to start all over. I mean, it's very frustrating. I recall doing a a Goodwin Granger one seven and a half footer um, with the Granger Green, the special, and that's the worst. That's the absolute worst color you ever even want to work with because it's hard to keep this the right cast color. And the problem with it is, you if you go just say like a repair on one of them. You can't match the rest of the guides because the varnish is old enough, it turns golden. It's got a patina on it. And it turns later, it is a, it's gold. It is gold. It turns perfectly gold. You can't even get that varnish anymore. No, you can't. I mean, you can't get the varnish we used five years ago anymore, yep. I think. My favorite varnish that was available to me was uh, Pratt & Lambert 61. I had the best results with that of all the varnish that I've used, except for what I use now, and, and that this is probably equal to uh, equal to it. But um, well, you go through some pretty significant steps in prepping your bamboo as well. Don't oh you? yeah, you, you have to. You know, there's cleaning cleaning rods. I mean, I wash them. I wash them under the under a tap. Okay. Before even the first coat, and I and I don't seal it with anything. And I go over it with a, with a toothbrush and I scrub it. For, but first, I'll even actually use uh, dishwater Dawn and, and, Save and ducks go and fly over rods. Any, any oil, <laughs> any oils yeah. are gone. Yeah. And then I rinse it really well with water, shake it off, and then I pour filtered water over, hang it over the bathtub and pour filtered water over the cane. Shake that off and put it in a drying chamber and leave it alone. And that drying chamber serves as a curing chamber after I dip the rod. You know, you know, people say, well, you don't have to go through that. Or people will ask me, how do you get your finishes? And I'll, and I'll tell them, they say, well, I ain't going to go through all that. And I said, well, don't, don't ask. You're yeah. not going to get the finish. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not going to like the answer. <laughs> it means extra work. But, but it, that's, that's, that's just me. But honestly, it's that type of attention to detail that yeah. lends itself to the products that you're producing. Yeah. I mean, they are, folks, you got to go out to Mark's website. And, and even the photographs, which are good, mm -hmm. don't really do them justice to seeing one in person. It's just. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I don't consider myself, I, I consider myself a Joe Blow in the bamboo world. I do. I don't care what people say to me or, or praise my rods. I have I have the the uh, mindset that anybody can do what I do. You just got to want to do it, and you got to want to do it bad enough. Put in the time and the work. And if you're not willing to do that and expect to have the same results, you're fooling yourself. Well, in in my very narrow and limited experience, and lending itself more to listening to Richard and and folks like there's you. A, there's a mistake. <laughs> Don't tell him that. Yeah, I've had I've had I've had discussions with with Richard about our approaches. You know, his versus mine. He's got a different approach than me, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't I don't I don't look at him and say, "Oh, you don't do as good a job as me." I don't care who the rod maker is, or what the rod looks like at the end. I know what it goes. I know what a rod maker goes through to get even get to that point. Mm -hmm. before anything gets even put on the rod, mm -hmm. and it's the same. Well, well, there's only so much you can do to a piece of bamboo to make it into a rod. Yes. And if you've done so all true. that, and you've done it right, and you've used quality of tools and work practices and things, you know, you're going to come out with a good rod. But the difference is that, you know, the extra steps you take yeah. after that is what creates such a... Now, Ron Barch told me the first really time he's seen rod. one of my rods, he says, and he's, he looked at it, and he cast it, and he says... You know, it was I, he embarrassed me. It was re, it was really stupid, but he embarrassed me. He says, he says, McCallop, he says, what business do you have just starting out, and you have rods nicer than mine? You know, and he was mad at me. He's, 
He says, you got to charge more money. Because I, I didn't start out charging what I do now. He says, you got to charge more than me because they're going to buy your rods and they won't buy mine. I goes, well, okay. So, so I did. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so, so watch this. <laughs> and he bought that rod, by the way. Oh, he says, is this rod for sale? And I goes... Well, not really. Uh, I at my new inflated price. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't my first. It Old price, new price. Yeah, but we had just fished it, my son and I, going down in, in the riverboat here on, okay. on the North Branch, and it was absolutely kick butt from a riverboat. And I goes, well, this rod's going to be put in the riverboat, and that's the one we're going to use for when we go down the river in the boat. And we, I was over it. Uh, he asked me if I had built anything lately, and I brought that out. And he took it out west, and he said he caught a lot of fish out there with it, and then he resold it. I tried to buy it back from him, and he sold it to some other guy. I tried to get it from him, the yeah. other guy, he wouldn't sell wouldn't it either. Get off so, it. <laughs> so it's bye-bye, go make another one. There you go. There you go. Well, in, in and along that line, what, and again, you're kind of alluding to, different approaches and different techniques and mm. diversity of approach and such but you kind of lean towards a few specific makers for your the tapers on your rods is that oh, yeah. true yeah it richard can tell you the same thing there's rod makers out there that just build really really nice tapers but not exclusively them because even some of the lesser makers had a few models that were good really good and you run into them all the time. This past weekend was really a revelation to me. The rods, some of the rods that we showed at the uh, my, my uh, presentation, the head rods, we were casting them over at my gathering. How about a nine-foot three-way? And it is wonderful. High-grade heading, a nine-foot nine three-way. And it was for another company. They build it for uh, uh, oh, a little white label project. I better not say who it is because I'm looking for one. Okay, the and if XYZ? someone comes up, I don't want them to get it before me. Well, that 50 you guys had over there was a that was a uh, real nice piece of work. Oh yeah, he he had he had some really really nice rods there, but it he wanted me to, he wanted us to cast them over there. Dave, me, and a bunch of other guys too, and uh, Chris Sparkman, another one, he cast them. None of us could believe it. Because I've never cast a nine-foot three-weight in my life that was worth anything. They're usually really slow. This was almost like a nine-foot three-weight dry fly rod. And really? it was light. We measured it. Jim Flaming and I got the numbers off it. So okay. the secret's going to be out. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah. don't, he, let, him, don't let him near your rod with a mic. The, uh, <laughs> he, he didn't care because he's not a maker. The fly rod making. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, we, we got those numbers, and there was a couple others I wanted to get to, uh, and we just didn't have time. So, But o over the years, I've been a devotee of probably three to four makers. And I, I, I picked some of the better models from one of these, and that's what I wanted to make, because they were tried and true. Dickerson, Young, and I, I'll, I'll come right out and say it. I think Dickerson, Young, and Payne. The best, kind of as far as ta as far as tapers go. Yeah, people can talk, and I know I'm going to probably be offending some people. All I know is from a rod maker standpoint, the the ones that are the tapers that are copied the most come from just a few. Mm -hmm. You don't hear of a lot of Leonard's being chased after. Mm -hmm. Leonard had a couple, couple good ones. Very collectible rod. Yes, they are. But a lot of it is, and coming from the Midwest, I'll say it's East Coast stuff. Yeah. And it's different. I think Lyle Dickerson and, and Paul Young, well, up the ante. If you're fishing up here, I mean, they got to taper for whatever you want to do. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, they do. You know. And I don't think they can be matched by anybody else out there. And these are old-timers. They go way back. Their shoulders are the ones we stand on today, and that's the way I look at it. Yeah, some of these have been tweaked here and there, and mm -hmm. sometimes you you can get it right, but that's going to be due to uh, maybe anomalies within the stick of bamboo you're working with too. You know, it can mm -hmm. be just a little bit different. Well, but yeah, each column has its own nuance, yes. doesn't it? Yes. 
It, they do. Richard will, Richard will tell you that as well. Yeah, some of that bamboo is, when I said the other day when we did Bogart podcast, I mean, that shit is devil's work, you know what I mean? Yes. It just starts bad and stays yep. bad. Yep. Oh. yep. Uh, it should be fire starter. Yeah, stubbornness, you were the bamboo. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you look at the column and it's like, oh, it looks great. Yeah. Should be perfect. Until you start working it yeah. up and doing and what it, you got to do with it. Then it's the devil. <laughs> yeah, but then there's other combs that after you get a rod made, you think, oh, this is going to be that good, but it ends up being good. Yeah. I've had a couple of shockers that way. The worst thing that can happen is you make your first rod with one of those good combs. <laughs> I know. You're, you're Thank a great you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> and then you run into one of the bad ones, and you say, "How the hell did I ever get started in this?" Yeah, yeah. Well, I was fortunate enough to end up with a good one, so it went well. Are you are you making rods now? I, I made a rod, cool. and I will be making more. Cool. So yeah, it, I love it. I love fun. everything about it. Um, Richard and Chris kind of alluded to it. Chris, I guess, on the last podcast, he was kind of talking about the zen of planning. I don't know if I'd quite put it that way, but I get it. Mm -hmm. It is just that soul focus that lets you empty your mind and it's get a into zone. your task. You gotta, it's a zone yeah. you, you enter into. Exactly. And I did a workshop with Jeff or Wagner, you know, the first day. He taught me how to make rounds. Okay. But in, in, the, in the workshop, you know, I sit there and watch him, and he'd get on the plane, and he'd be walking along. And he could plane like, you know, I mean, he doesn't have to start and stop. He just walks. He's able to walk and plane. I've never been able to do that. But... And you can see he was kind of, you know, floor. he was kind of in another world, one, you know, yep. taking care of business. You know? I, 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 yeah, I, I use a Morgan hand mill, okay, and you know, for the final planning of my rods. And when I when I start doing them, I, I'm like, I almost forget that I'm almost through the strip. You know, I, I forget to measure the thing. I'm almost, oh man, I, I hope I didn't take too much off. <laughs> but there's a number on the dial you're supposed to watch. But sometimes I lose track. I write it down where I'm supposed to stop. If I don't, I, I'd probably go over every single one, yeah. you know. Have a lot of toothpicks. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, so today, you're on the North Branch. Um, what, what rod would you go out with at this time of the year on the North? In the daytime? Mm-hmm. Daytime dry. Oh, four weight to begin with. You know, and if you got a uh, fish that wants to stay tight to the wood, and if he's eating, you may be a little handicapped because if you if you do if you do hook him, uh, he may get into the wood and you ain't gonna be able to stop him. Yeah. But a lot of times you may play the right angle to get to to your advantage, but there's no guarantees here. I I a windy day, a breezy day, I'd, I'd probably pick an eight foot for a five. Yeah. You, you you can use a smaller rod if you want, but I'm always thinking from a fisherman's standpoint. I, I don't want the fish to have any advantage over me. Right. So. Well, you want to be good to the fish too. Yeah, and I want to be good to the fish. I want to land them in short order, put them back in the water, and uh, either I might catch them again or some for sure somebody else. Yep. You know, and that's I picked that up real early. Uh, the people that I did run into stress that all the time. Uh, Jack Schweiger did, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. I remember well, one I guess time. Art did as well. Uh, Art well, <laughs> as well. Art, Art. Uh, Pretty evangelical talk, about Talking that. about Art, you know, he pushed that from the first day I met him. He was trying to get me to join to you, mm -hmm. and, and I, I belonged for a few years, but I, I never really was very active in it. But Art would tap me. Uh, for some work now and then. He's seen the work that I was doing, and he, he was confident that I could uh, do some finish work for him. So so I did it over That's here. pretty cool. Not all the time. And I wasn't do it for pay. I do it as a favor. Mm-hmm. Because I... I, I and no I favors didn't live, come around. I didn't, I didn't live very far from him. Oh, okay. So I had a source without having to go through the mail, you know, and... and uh, Pay probably even more more dollars, and I'm going to get better customer service from him than I'm going to get to somebody over a phone or through the mail. So yeah. he he he'd steer me right this way or that way. That's pretty cool. And Art Newman, I think especially everybody, everybody around here knows who Art Newman is and what he did for this pastime. Um, and the honors that he's he's had. 
sent his way. Uh, <laughs> well deserved. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy. Everyone talks about George Mason. It wasn't George Mason. It was Art Newman. You know, someone come up with an idea, and the other guy runs with the ball. You know, the coach sends a play in, but uh, the quarterback quarterback does the job. It's art executing. Art, <laughs> art was the quarterback. Yep. Concept's good, but execution is what makes it work. Yep. That's true. Yep. That's true. You know, there's yeah. a lot of history in this area, and that's why it's always. And I love this river. Uh, you know, as far as wade fishermen, wade fishing. This is the river I love, and mm -hmm. its tributaries. You know, mm -hmm. I, I fish Big Creek a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I was growing up, some of my friends would go over the North Branch, and they didn't do so well in the, in the daytime, because that can be a tough game in the well, daytime. It's, it's high skies yeah. and bright sun. It's just, But yeah. <laughs> I used to just, I mean, I had unbelievable banner days on Big Creek. It's not that way anymore. But my, my goal was to somehow be able to come and live up here. It never came to fruition, but I have a son living up here now, and he, he he's very uh, uh, visible in this area. He, he worked at Fuller's. He worked at, uh, and, he, and he guided out of Fuller's. He guided over, you know, the old... Uh, Is he still working at Andy's? Where? He's still down he at Andy's? Guided out of Andy's? Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. He, 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 guide, he guided out in Colorado. So, I mean, he's picking it up now. I have a five-year-old grandson. Is, was, I, I build him a bamboo rod. I call it Dylan's um, Dylan's rug beater. There you and go. I gave it to him when he's three years old, and I made it stick as a stiff as a poker <laughs> because knowing full well he's gonna be banging around <laughs> on the ground and everything. But Sean will take him out behind the house at, at on Big Creek, and he, he's got films of him catching trout on his own now. And he's five years old. That's awesome. And that's wonderful to see. It really is. I love that. I wish I had had that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, so does this make Stacy your daughter-in-law? Yes. Boy, can she paint. Yeah, she, she's a very talented She's a hell of an artist. Yeah. And she's a teacher in Grayling now, too. But uh, she's just getting going with the painting. So she's got a couple of beautiful pictures uh, on display at the museum right now. She, she's got some uh, different takes yes. on, on how fish They're look. not traditional. And they're, they're cool, though. But, you know? oh, man, the, the use of colors oh, and yeah. the... the just kind of the vision that she's got and, and the way she's able to execute on it is pretty damn cool. The, um, what, um, so what's next? Um, what's, what's the next big project or your next class? Well, I, have, I, I, have, grail? I have two dreams. Okay. Two dreams. Over the course of making rods now, the time that I have been, you accumulate a lot of spare wood, spare strips mm -hmm. that you can't make a rod out of you, but it's just there. Okay. You hate to throw anything away. Yep. Uh, I'm, it's accumulating to the point where I may be able to get uh, make a bamboo strip canoe. Whoa. That's that's the goal, but I don't know if I'll live long enough to do it. That'd that's be kind of cool. But uh, as well, I want to make eight strip rods. Okay. Just to do it. That's and, interesting. And as well, uh, I, I have the tooling to do it. Well, I was just going to ask you. Morgan Handbell, you can buy the, the cutters for 8-strip. Okay. And But I initially bought the 8-strip thing because I, I'm, I can't make a pool cue with a 6-strip. <laughs> and I'm going to make pool cues. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, and that's going to happen, but as far as the canoe goes... That's uh, down the road a bit, probably. I have I have a boat builder, lives about 15 miles from me. See, he's all in on the project. Okay. So we've already that's half the battle right there. Yeah, we're, we've already <laughs> talked about it. He says any time we'll figure it out. So. That's awesome. But some of these things are just pipe dreams too. You well, know. it's. But you got a dream. It's. Yeah, I was gonna say it'd be pretty sad if we didn't. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know. But it's fun. Excellent, excellent. So. Um, other rod making gatherings. We we heard from Chris. He's got one out of the cat skills. Do you do other gatherings as well? It, you no. alluded to the no. fiberglass component. With no, it's the only one I've gotten involved with is the fiberglass one. Okay. I thought about you know, and actually at that gathering there was more casting of fiberglass before the gathering than at the gathering. The gathering <laughs> was dominated by bamboo. Yeah. You know, everybody brought bamboo. 
everybody's casting bamboo, more bamboo than glass. Yeah. But um, Pete's friend there, John, was his name Mike, John? Mike Andrew. Yeah, Mike Andrew, you're right. Uh, he sold a lot of Pete, Pete Magus's rods down here, and um, my my brother-in-law's grandson bought a rod and reel, and he's now he uh, my brother-in-law asked me if I'd take him under his wing, you know. Well, and this kid's he's you can tell, 16 years old. He's strong enough to do whatever it takes to be out out in the boat, you know, what it takes to be out in the road, about sure. in the rivers and the woods. So, if I have the energy, that's the key. I don't. I'm getting old too. Well, we it's hard for me to get around anymore. Still got to keep trucking, man. Oh yeah, you do. You <laughs> just do the best you can. Move on. Absolutely. You know, Pete had a lot of good stuff that he. Uh... I picked up a reel. Did you? <laughs> oh yeah, I bought. Well, I bought a. Actually, I bought back a Andy Bar rod that I traded Pete something for. I got that back. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for that. Been thinking about that for a while, and I'm glad I was able to do that. But <laughs> yeah. Then I got a what a hardy reel, a Uniqua. But, uh, oh, you did get a Uniqua from him? Yeah. Oh, cool. An old one or what? Uh, yeah. I'll show it to you here in a minute. Yeah, sure. You know, but it, he, so, he said he sold, before he left over there, he said he sold about two-thirds of what he had. He was great. happy with that. That's, that'll be nice for Pete's wife. Yeah. Yeah, Pete, Pete was a great guy. If you didn't know Pete Magus, you missed out. He, oh, was, yeah. uh, he died last November, I think, yeah. but he was definitely one of the last gentlemen that I knew. Yeah. Well, Aside yeah. from Mark and John, I, I used go. I used to like it when he'd come down here. You know, I'd see him at Gray Rock, or I'd see him at my gathering. He was just a lot of fun, you know. He but he was up in years. How old was he when he died? He was in his eighties, I'm sure. No, I don't think he was that old. No, I don't. Yeah, close to eighty. Yeah. yeah. But he he was slowing down over time. You could see it. Yeah. And last year he was supposed to come to uh, Michiglass and. He couldn't make it last minute. Mm. Well, he enjoyed it. Oh, he did. The glass for him a lot. I know. Because yeah. uh, I used to go over there and sit with him and we'd sit and talk. Yeah, I, th I think the difference between uh, my gathering, not it's in competition with Gray Rock at all, not even close, but I think it's more of a, of a, a social thing. There's, there's no uh, uh, seminars, there's not much to learn unless you're learning about different rides. But there isn't any anything that's instructional, and everybody just comes to cast rods. You know, you discover, boy, these rods from years ago were great, uh, or new rods, and that that's how when I when I first uh, Dave Staley, he was the first one to arrive at the first Michigan glass, and you know, him and I have the same profile, <laughs> and he walked up he walked up to me. He says, "Yep, uh, this should work out." You know, he's just—he's—he's he's a goofy guy. He says, "What? What do you? What do you know about fiberglass?" We got to talking. I talked about the rods that I used to have years ago and still do some of them. You've had a few rods come through your hands. Oh yeah, <laughs> but I, I have an old Scott, eight foot four weight, and he said, "I got a rod that's just like that." And I'm thinking, "Yeah," and I was at the point really to come. I was convinced to come to this gathering, and I wasn't all in on it. I was kind of. I had put fiberglass and kind of like in the rearview mirror because I was occupied with bamboo mm -hmm. and he put this rod in my hands and I cast it and I turned around at him and just shy of swearing at him mm -hmm. I said are you kidding me mm -hmm. you kidding me who's the maker I don't know I had to learn everything about it and I was amazed I, I was walking around like in, in a in a daze because all the rods that I cast that day it blew me away I had no idea modern fiberglass was that good. It rivals some of the best bamboo, and I and I'm a bamboo rod maker. Saying this, I'm being honest. Well, I'm not a snob not when it comes to that. Exclusive set. I mean, there's applications for different materials. There sure right? is. There sure is. Well, that's true. I mean, if you're making bamboo rods for a living, you ought to be scared of some of these fiberglass. Yep. Well, that's that's what a lot why a lot of the bamboo guys left. When fiberglass came on the scene the first time, just kind of dried up. Yeah, you know, I never paid much attention to it. Uh, you know, the fiberglass rods I had or was exposed to were like the old Wonder rods. You know, solid yeah. fiberglass you yeah. could beat your horse with. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> or beat a rod. <laughs> even you know the old Lamaglass ones and uh, certainly the ones that you know guys like McFarland are making these days are just Christ, they're really great yep. rods. 
you know, and I I was at Peter's one time a couple years ago, and there was a guy there, I don't know who he is, and Peter doesn't even remember who he was, but he was a bamboo rod maker. And we were out in Peter's shed, you know, with all the, all the rod making equipment out there, and Fred Paddock, Mike McFarland and I were out there, and and Pete was showing us some fiberglass rods in his collection, and he had some pretty rare stuff. Huh. And this gentleman walked in near us. I say gentleman, but that's I'm using the word loosely. Quotes. Okay. Uh, he comes up and he says, "What do you got there? What What do you got this plastic for?" Mm. And I said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, well, "That's that stuff is junk." I was like, "Oh." Hold on there. <laughs> Hold <laughs> so on there. And here's McFarland. He makes yeah. he makes fiberglass rods. You know, he's a maker, not a builder. He's a maker. And Mike McFarland, in my estimation, is the the world's best hollow rod designer. And I'm not ashamed to say it. He uh, he's almost a genius. He's not a great businessman. But as far as rod design, Technically good. he's had big companies try to get him to work for them. And that's a testament right there. Yep. So this Heavily is recruited draft choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this isn't a this this isn't an idle claim. Right. You know? And I told Mike, and he, he kinda shy, doesn't want to hear me say it, but I have told him as so as such. And you know, he's how old how old is Mike? Okay. He, he, I don't think he's even fifty yet. So he's got he's got the best years of his life of ahead yeah. of him as far as rod rod building goes yeah. and designing. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. It is, but I think uh, I think Pete it was either Pete or Fred Paddock shut this guy up. He says, "You ever cast one of these?" And Fred's a really good caster. You know, he can cast the best of bamboo or the best of, uh, of glass, and. He said, "Well, let's let's go out in the yard." He said, "Oh, I don't want to even bother with that stuff." You're just, kidding. He, just a he snob. Still with he, was, it. he was a snob. He didn't you know? go, did he ever get into cast one? No. Uh, no he, kidding. He wouldn't do it. Well, he couldn't. Be, then he went home thinking he was still right then. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe he didn't know how to cast. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Could that does could happen too? Ca casting shy. I don't know. Some of those fiberglass rods, you get your hand on them and start working with them, and they make you smile. You know? Oh yes, they do. About the I, best you can expect. I had a grin plastered on my face after casting that Morgan rod. Good lord. Well, if I hold that gathering next year, come to it. Yeah, well, is your eyes have been opened somewhat, but it's even going to be open more. Oh, sure. I know you're dabbling now in bamboo, but don't close your eyes to it. Oh no! I keep Don't. an open mind. Oh, <laughs> I'm very open minded about smart everything. Man. Yeah, it's I. I want to learn something new every day. Yeah, well, absolutely. And we have talking with you today. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'm trying. I. I. You know, I, I, I. I'm not going to say I don't know much. I'm not going to say that that I don't know mu that much. But I don't know it all. I'm learning all the time new. Well, it's. Just the mark of being a good human. And and every and everybody has something to share and bring to the table. You know, everybody does. I listen to people. I don't because you you always can pick up some ideas. I picked up some ideas this weekend. You know. Yeah, that that Richard uh, that Richard Alexander. I know I know I'm gonna say I I know quite a bit about head rods, but I not even a quarter of what he does. Oh wow. Oh, he knows a lot. <laughs> he does. Yeah, another one of the coffee crew. Uh, uh, John had a. Uh, is it Hedden sixty reel? Who? The, uh, John, um, whose last name escapes me. Chandler. Yeah. 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 yeah he the, uh, a lot of good stuff. The beveling machines. The uh, regardless, uh, real cool rod or, or uh, real. I was hmm. kind of surprised because I was. I think I was kind of predisposed to thinking that the majority of their stuff was for the masses. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they had some upper level stuff. And you know, who's the who's the guy that um, gifted us that uh, head and president that's in the uh, museum? Oh, that 124? Yeah. That was Pete Petoskey's rod. He was DNR, one of his 
kids, I think. Is 125, you mean? 125. Yeah, it's kind of like, like yeah, it's got like gold, gold anodized hardware. We should hardware. probably play uh, that up. I didn't realize that was Pete Petoskey's. We should probably play that up a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that was, uh, you know, that was an interesting rod because you know the 1000 was the rod of rod supposedly, and it mm -hmm. finished with gold and stuff. And this was kind of the poor man's knockoff or the uh, working man's knockoff, it, maybe. That, and it that, had gold coloring on the, you know. That that model was made. By Hedden for Sears. Okay. And it was late in there. The last two was series. Was that a Ted Williams uh, no, they, sanctioned no, Ted, rod? Nothing, or? Nothing, <laughs> Ted Williams wasn't endorsed. Not, not, at, at, all. not at that point? No. Okay. And they had a 115 and a 125 made for Sears. And that was late in their production. And they were kind of lost in the mix as far as what they were going to do if they're going to just dump bamboo. And they ended up dumping not long after that. And they, the quality of those last two miles weren't that good. Yeah. I, I would say that the 125 was at, at the at the quality of about a number 10. Okay. You no, know, one of the lower ones. Well, it's, that one's not. It doesn't have a. You know, it's got intrinsic value because where yeah. it came from and who yeah. had it. I mean, well, yeah. to be sure. I it's mean, still a fishing ride. You know, yeah. Uh, listeners, fine. look Pete Petoskey up, um, and then look up some of the people that have won the Pete Petoskey Award, and you'll kind of get a sense for mm -hmm. knowing that that guy was a little more than somebody just standing on a corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Hedden made, uh, talking to Hedden, I know Art used some of his blanks. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, yep. I mean, that kind of convinced me that you know, that's better than a trade rod. You know, I mean, he didn't put stuff through his shop unless he knew it was really I, I had, uh, <laughs> the guy that, the guy that uh, had that first gathering, the first fiberglass gathering, he bought a seven and a half foot Hedden slash wanting this from me that I restored. His wife bought it for him from me uh, for, I don't know, Christmas or birthday gift, I think. Special occasion, yeah. Yeah, but, and he loves it, you know. They're, de they're decent bamboo rods and the, the amount of quality that across the board through the time that they were making rods is pretty remarkable because they built a lot of rods. I don't know if anybody's built more bamboo rods. That's incredible. I had mm. no idea. No idea. Well, yeah. we've enjoyed speaking with you, Mark. They, uh, it's been it's fun been being here. a lot here. of fun. Uh, enjoyed meeting you over the weekend, and uh, I guess we first met at the uh, the rod weekend at the museum, but yeah. um, thank you. Thank you very, very You're much. You're more than welcome. It's yeah. been fun being we'll here. We'll look forward to crossing paths again. I hope so. Right on. Thanks for coming out, and I'm glad we had an hour without a power failure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, especially with the heat coming up to be about a million this afternoon. So, All right, everybody. That's it for this week. Well, that was fun. Uh, as always, <laughs> Richard and I have a blast doing these, and I uh, look forward to Glenn joining us again. Um, hey, that's it for this week. We may have... Uh, we may be skipping a week for the 4th of July holiday. Um, we've got kind of a guest on the fence right now. So um, if we don't see you until after the 4th, happy Independence Day. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, mind your back cast. <laughs>